I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I'd be likely to bet that some of you guys here have a happy place. You don't have to volunteer that information, but you know what I mean by a happy place? It's a place where you go, whether it's a, an actual physical spot or like somewhere you go in your mind. It's a space that you enter into, and when you're there, it brings you a great sense of joy and of peace and of calm. You guys know what I'm talking about, about a happy place? And if you, if you say no, you're, you're lying. Did someone say the golf course? Amen. Amen. This sermon is over. No. Now, just to give you a little peer into the window of my soul, there are many things in my life that bring me joy and peace and calm, but I have a couple of random happy places to tell you about. One of them, I should have said the golf course. That should have been my first one. But I digress. One of them is at the barbecue. I don't know why. I am not some expert barbecue chef. I am competent. I'm not like a pit master or something. But when I go to the barbecue... It could have been like a difficult day. When I go to the barbecue, it, like, it calms me down. It relaxes me. It brings me peace. Another one that I have is a physical location uh, in the community of Burt's Corner. Anyone heard of Burt's Corner before? Yep, some of you are from there, which is cool. Now, in Burt's Corner, there, that's outside of Fredericton, by the way, there is a trail that goes through the community. It's on the old rail bed. And there's one spot on the trail that some people call the lookout. And at the lookout, the trail's like this. And then there's a drop-off, probably 20 feet or so. And then the Keswick River comes by like this right below it around this bend. It's very scenic. It's very picturesque. And when I go to the lookout, which I still go there, it relaxes me. It calms me down. It brings me peace. Those are a couple of my happy places. Thank you for not laughing at me. I bet you, like I say, that you guys have them as well. And the fact that we have happy places tells me something. It tells me that sometimes what our souls need is to go back and revisit the things that are familiar to us. And again, I'm not talking about things that are stupid or sinful or foolish. I'm talking about things that are God-honoring gifts from the Lord that bring us joy. It's not always in life a case of, I need new knowledge, new experience, new revelation, new information. All that's really good. But sometimes what we need is to go back and to behold and to savor and to appreciate the things we have seen already. Like I've barbecued a number of times and every time I do, it brings me, well, unless I burn it or something, it brings me a fresh peace. That doesn't happen very often, right, Lori? Don't answer that out loud. Uh, every time I go to the lookout, I've been to the lookout hundreds of times, and every time I go, there's still a little bit of a fresh peace, a little bit of a fresh joy that I get from that. Why am I saying all this? Because today in God's Word, we're going to look at a familiar section of Scripture. We're going to look at something that comes out usually every year around this time of year. It's a Christmas classic of a text and what my goal is today, I mean, maybe you'll learn something new. That's great. Maybe you'll get a fresh insight on something. That's great. But what I want us to do with this time we have together is to look at God's word, a familiar word that we've all seen and heard before. And I want us to just pause and take the time to appreciate and to savor and to delight and to behold the Jesus that this is talking about. Does that sound like a good exercise today? Good. So grab your Bible, then turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, again, is a Christmas classic. There's a couple verses in here. I guarantee you've seen them this holiday season. I guarantee. Now, we're going to read starting at verse 2. It's on the screen as well. And we're going to skip a few and go down to verse 6 after that. But here's what it says. Isaiah 9, 2. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Skip down to verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. We're going to pick our way through that today. And again, just appreciate and acknowledge and behold the Lord Jesus in this. It's going to be good for our souls this Christmas. So let's begin. When you see Isaiah 9-2, and it talks about the people who walked in darkness and those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness. Now, this text was written about 2,700 years ago, yet it's still talking to us. We are in the demographic of people who have walked in darkness and who have dwelt in a land of darkness. It is no shock to you that we dwell in a land of darkness today. And that is not me being cynical or pessimistic. That's me opening my eyes and looking around and seeing that many things in the world aren't going tremendously well these days. Not everybody is having a wonderful time uh, in this season. It's been a difficult year, a difficult stretch. And there are things like wickedness in the world. There is suffering in the world, injustice and cruelty and division and violence and hatred in the world. Not going super well, amen? The reason why that is the case is because of the presence of sin in the world. The world is bad, not necessarily because, oh, you know, this one person a week ago did some certain sin or anything like that. It's because of the, just the general presence of sin in the world. When God created the world, he created it to be good, and he said it was very good. He created the world to be a place where life, humanity, would flourish in our relationship to him and our proximity to him. There was no sin. There was none of that, that bad stuff I just listed a minute ago. That's how God created. That's how God designed this world to be. It was later on that sin was introduced to the equation. Sin being lawlessness, rebellion, treating God with contempt, going against him, declaring war on him, um, diminishing his glory and calling into question his character and his, and his will and his words. That's sin, and we have all done that. And what sin is like, sin is like an invasive species. You know how that works? There's like certain places in the world where certain kinds of animals don't exist yet. But then whether they hop on board a ship or they swim there or whatever, these animals, these species will be introduced. And then they grow and they grow. And since they're not natively from there and like the whole food chain thing is interrupted, these invasive species can really take over because they're not really supposed to be there. Sin is like that. We still live in the world that God created, but it's but a shell of what it was supposed to be. All this bad stuff that we see was never supposed to be here. But yet that is our experience because of sin. Furthermore, we are included in this demographic of people who walk in darkness. So we don't only live in a land of darkness, we engage in this darkness ourselves. We have all sinned, we have all fallen short, we have all done things that are sinful and stupid and foolish, and occasionally we have to face the consequences for those things. And ultimately the consequence of this darkness, the result of all of this sin is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and it's a debt and a wage that we all owe because we've all sinned. We've all walked in darkness. The problem, the reason why all this is a problem so far is because if you read in 1 John 1, it says that God is light. Somebody say God is light. It says God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Not just God has a little bit of light. No, he is light. That's who he is. 
and there's no darkness with him. But then here we are, we live in and walk in darkness, and the two don't go together. Therein lies the problem. Our sin separates us from God. The life that we were created and designed and born to live, our sin prevents us from living that because we're supposed to be close to God, right with God, in relationship with God, and we're none of those things in and of our own selves. So in and of our own selves, that darkness, that key word of darkness, that is our reality. That is our state and our status apart from outside intervention. You say, not me, I'm a good person. Well, that's good for you, but I'll just tell you, you're still included in that good person. We're all walking in darkness. Here's where the news begins to get good, though. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Light has come. Something has been done to remedy our situation, to change our state, to fix things for us. And you guys can see the language of light and darkness in here, and you've all seen this because you've all like lived through a night and a day before, how powerful it is when light breaks through into darkness. Whether it's a flashlight in a dark room or whatever, the light switch coming on, when the light floods into the darkness, the darkness can't help but run away and be scattered and dispel. I remember my first night that I ever worked a night shift. I was... 18 or so, and I was working at the front gate shack of a provincial park. And occasionally I'd have to work an overnight shift, midnight to 8 a.m. And I know you're all wondering, or have wondered before, I wonder what happens at the front gate shack of a provincial park between 12 midnight and 8 a.m. Well, I'm going to tell you, nothing. <laughs> nothing happens. Nothing goes on. I was by myself the whole night it's, it's not like you're really in civilization either. There's mostly nothing around. There's trees and a field. Two cars might drive by all night. There's nothing going on. And I remember that night very vividly. Even though I knew, I'm just here to work. This is a safe place. I'm gonna go home in eight hours. The morning is coming. It still really did a number on me kind of within. Even though I knew all that stuff, I kind of got discouraged through the night. And the time seemed to just drag on and on and on and on and on. You ever had a night like that? That just time is one second, two seconds, like that. And I was lonely, and I increasingly was getting more lonely. And I even tried to snap myself out of it. Brayden, I'm only here for five more hours. Like, get over yourself. But it was difficult. It was difficult because the darkness was deep. When I looked out my window, nothing. Couldn't see anything. Just a black abyss, nothing. But I remember and will never forget how I felt when the first light of day appeared. It was about quarter to five in the morning and it wasn't much. But I looked out the window and instead of just seeing a complete, total pitch black darkness, I could barely make out a shape of something across the road. Barely, I'm squinting doing this. And I remember the hope that I felt in that moment because the light was coming, morning was coming and slowly but surely the light began to increase and it was getting lighter and brighter outside and then the sun came up over the trees and it totally lit up the sky and the darkness that was so close in around me all night and affecting me all night, it was scattered, it was banished, it was out of here and I remember the joy that I felt that morning. 
Maybe for you, your darkness is a little more serious than that particular example. I came through that night kind of unscathed. It didn't really affect me that much. I went home and I went to sleep. But maybe the darkness that you are facing right now is much deeper than that, much more serious than that. Maybe it is all-encompassing. It's surrounded you. You feel like there's no escape from this darkness that you face, no relief, no hope. This word is telling us right here that there is hope. There is light. There is intervention. There is reason to hope. Because the light has come. And I want you to know, when you look at just the language of that, the light has shone upon us. That's telling us that the light, the source of light is an external one. It's coming from somewhere else. It doesn't come from within. You guys have heard people say, you know, you're going through a hard time. Oh, just look within yourself. There's light in all of us. There's good in all of us. You ever heard that before? I don't know about you. That's not going to cut it for me because I have known and I have seen the darkness that's in here in me and maybe you have in your own life as well. No, our light, our deliverance, our salvation, our hope does not come from an internal source, but an external one. It actually comes from a person, and that person has a name, and his name is Jesus. Now, it says in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He doesn't say, I am an option of light in the world. He says, I am the light. There is one light. There is one source. There is one hope. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 1.5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know what that reminds me is that Jesus has been shining his light into darkness for a long, long time, and the darkness, deep as it may be, has still not overpowered him yet, because he is greater. He is better. And whatever your darkness is today, I don't know your specific situation, scenario, thing you're dealing with, thing that you're facing, mountain that's in front of you. I can tell you with certainty, though, that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the light for that darkness, whatever it is. So the question today is, first and foremost, do you know Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Have you been saved by Jesus? Has the light of Jesus shone into your heart and lit up your soul? That is first and foremost of importance. Because that's what Jesus does, right? We, we read it right there, John 8, 12. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's what Jesus does. And he's very good at it because he's the light of the world. And so when we consider that Jesus is the light of the world, that the light has come, that hope is here, when we go on to read the rest of our text today, he wants us to make absolutely sure of who he is. This light, we can know him, we can see him, we can have a relationship with him, he can have an impact and an influence in our lives. And this text goes on to tell us a few ways how he does that and who he is and what he represents and what he does. So I got six things for you. The first one is this, Jesus is with us. Somebody say, Jesus is with us. Say it again with gusto. That was much better, thank you. Now, you can see this in verse six of our text. Four, that word for is important. That points back to what we just read. And what we just read is that the light has come. The light is here, the hope is here. And we see it because for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Again, you've heard this verse. Let it sink into your heart today. 
Our deliverance from darkness, we've already gone on and on already about how deep our darkness problem is and how discouraging and despairing this darkness can be. And we've seen that God delivers us and can deliver us from it. I find it very interesting. If our darkness problem is so big, which it is, you might think, oh, God would deal with that by sending some powerful, crushing force. God would deal with that by sending someone to come in pomp and circumstance with the paparazzi flashing their cameras. That's not how it went down. Our deliverance from darkness, the light that shines to break up our darkness came to us in the form of a child, in the form of a son, in the form of a baby, a weak and meek and mild infant. And I think that is so profound. What that speaks to is how Jesus humbled himself. He is God, eternal God before time. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. But he would step down from his throne. He would enter into human history and humble himself for us. That is, that is profound. That is deep. And this here is talking about Jesus' first coming. That's really largely what we celebrate at Christmas time. The songs that we sing, the, the things that we see like on Christmas cards or on TV or whatever, it, it's talking about the birth of Christ. That's really the, the crux of Christmas. It's that we see that Jesus has come to us in this meek, mild, humble, in the form of a man. But what's interesting, though, is that how we can see that he came to identify with us. Like, we've already talked about how God is light, we're in darkness, the two shall not meet, but Jesus came to identify with us, to meet us in that. He came to become like us. He came to show that he is not just God over us, which he is, but he is also God with us. There's another place that says that his name is called Emmanuel, which means, his very name means God with us. And this is what the Christmas story really is all about. I want that to sink in this morning. I want that to go into your heart. You and I are sinners, but God has come to us. That separates us, by the way, as Christians from many other world religions that would teach, no, there's, there's a God in you or you're kind of like a God. No, we're far from God. We're separated from God because of our sin. Some people would say, oh, if you just do enough good or try really hard, you can ascend to the level of being like a God yourself. No, no, it's not how it works. A lot of people doubt and they say, oh, God is distant. God doesn't care. God is not near. No, 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 no. We see it right there. God comes to us. Don't skip over that this Christmas. God is with us. As we continue on in our text, we start to see more revelation about this Jesus who is the light of the world. He is ruler. Somebody say ruler. Yes. It says, the government shall be upon his shoulder. And of the increase of his government, there will be no end. It goes on and on and it goes on. Jesus is a king. And he is ruling and reigning right now as a king. Now you say, well, I don't see Jesus ruling and reigning around me. 
The world is going down the toilet. I don't see him. What's he doing? If there is a God out there, you hear this. How is so much bad stuff happening in the world? He must be away. He must not be that great a king if this is the state of affairs that we're all in. Here's how this works. And you guys have heard this before. Jesus' kingdom is simultaneously a kingdom that is here now, but it's not here yet. You've heard that language here now, but not yet. Jesus came to the earth, as we've talked about. He humbled himself. He lived a perfect, sinless life that we have failed to live. He went to the cross to die in our place as our substitute for sin. And he was, he was crucified. He died. And he was buried. But on the third day, he rose from the grave. And again, we can skip over that so easily. But Jesus rose from the grave. He conquered our greatest enemy, which is sin and darkness and death. He is greater. He is victorious over that. And that is where we get our hope from. Jesus rose from the grave, and then he ascended into heaven. And that's where he is right now. He is ruling and reigning in heaven right now. And he's ruling and reigning over us as his people here on the earth. And what I want to point you to is what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection, he won a battle there. The battle over sin and death and darkness. Jesus won that. Answer me this. Is the war, though, still going on today? Yes, it is. Jesus won that battle, but the war rages on. But the outcome of the war has already been decided. Even though the decisive battle happened way back here and the end of the war is way up here, because of Jesus winning this battle, this has already been decided. We know that Jesus is going to win, and he is winning, and, and his kingdom will reign, and he will rule. Again, he's ruling right now, and the day will come when he returns to the earth to fully establish his rule, to fully usher in the kingdom of God. That is a day that we look forward to as Christians, amen? So we're living right now in this interesting time. It's the period between his ascension and his return. Again, Jesus is ruling right now. He's our king and we acknowledge him as such. But he is yet to come back to, to fully usher that in. And during this period, people have the opportunity to trust in him, to repent of their sin, to, to align themselves with him, to be saved from their sins. Some people will accept that offer of grace. Some will not. During this period, bad things will still happen all around us. Again, the war is still going on. Lots of bad things. Bad things still happen to us as Christians too. But the day is coming when that will be brought to an end. Jesus will return. And I just need to pause on that and sidebar to say, whatever bad things you're going through in your life right now, whatever wrestling or challenge or trial, that does not mean that you're, because you're going through that, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you or has forgotten or he is not strong. God is still there. God is still in control. Can I get an amen to that this morning? Good, good. But Jesus will return. Let's not forget, Jesus is coming back. He's not finished yet. When he returns, I love how this juxtaposes with his first coming, the Christmas story. When Jesus came at Christmas, his first coming, he came in humility. When he comes again, he's coming in glory. Jesus came the first time in meekness. When he comes again, he is coming with the blast of the trumpet sound. Jesus came the first time in weakness. When he comes again, he is coming in power. There will be no mistaking that. And when he returns, his rule and his reign will be fully ushered in and established. And it says in the book of Philippians that at that time, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There's no getting around Jesus. When he comes back, you're going to see him. You're going to know it. 
And that is a day, again, we look forward to. That is the government, that is the kingship we not only acknowledge now, but look forward to in our future. And so many people in this world put, to an inappropriate degree, put their hope and their trust and their faith and hang all their hopes on human governments and human rulers. I'm not an anti-government guy. We're not having like a rally at like overthrow the government up in here. I think in many ways we ought to be very thankful. But a human government is no place to put and hang all of your hopes and put all of your eggs into that basket because someone always gets let down. It's never good for everybody. You have people coming along that say, we'll put in these social programs and we say, that'll make everything right. Does it? No. Oh, we'll come, we're making these promises. These, these social security things will come in and it'll be great for you. It's not really how it works. We have guys that come in and say, I'm going to make America great again. I don't know if I've seen that happen yet, just saying. Because government, human government, can never do what Jesus' government and what Jesus' rulership can do. And I even, I even just think of, of our local provincial government. Like we've seen how the ebbs and flows go there. If you remember, it was only three years ago we had a liberal government. Brian Gallant was the premier. And uh, remember we had that really close provincial election in the fall and it wasn't even sure who won and there was all this confusion and he says, I'm gonna still be the premier. But then he got struck down from that and then Blaine Higgs was the premier all of a sudden. It was really weird. And a lot of people said, great, that's awesome. Blaine Higgs, premier. And some people said, that's the worst. Blaine Higgs is the premier. Again, you have that tension there. You fast forward a year or so into his tenure as premier and COVID starts. And again, I'm not an anti-Blaine Higgs guy at all. But if you remember, you say what you will about him. If you remember, about a year and a half ago, we were a little ways into the pandemic. Our government were heroes, straight up. We were examples to the whole rest of the province. People were looking across and saying, man, COVID is destroying us out here. But look how well New Brunswick is doing. Let's look to their government. Let's talk to them. They've done such an awesome job. And public opinion was pretty high, right? I read something this week that suggests that it's not quite the same flowery feelings toward our current government as there maybe once were. I read this week that in the last quarter, so the last three months of this year, Blaine Higgs' approval rating has dropped 17%. That's a huge amount, 17% in three months. Why? Because people are frustrated. People are fed up. People are putting and hanging their hopes there and that is not a sturdy enough hook to hang your coat on. You know what I'm saying? Because human governments are not supposed to be our ultimate source of that. But Jesus' government, I'm harping on this for a reason. When Jesus comes back and fully establishes his rule and his reign, that's going to be a good day for us as Christians. Because he leads it. Our Savior and King is the head of this government. He upholds it. He has it on his shoulder. And he's faithful, and he's our rock and our refuge. It's a reign of peace, it says in verse 7 of our text. It's not going to be, when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom, it's not going to be a reign of confusion and war and violence and hatred and division. It's going to be a reign of peace. It's going to be a reign that never ends. See right here, there will be no end. That's bad news if you've got a bad king, but our Jesus is a good king. This is good news for us. Let it sink into your heart this Christmas season. Jesus is our ruler. Do you believe that today? Good. 
We'll keep moving then. The next thing we see is that Jesus is our guide. He's our guide. It says his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. I love that part of the verse. First things first, when it says about his name shall be called, you guys know that in the Bible, when people are given names, sometimes prophetically, this person's name is going to be such and such, like right here. Names aren't just given arbitrarily. They're not just given like as a nickname. When, when you see a name given to someone in the Bible, very oftentimes it's referring to what their character is going to be like and or the things that they're going to do. So the fact that Jesus is called our wonderful counselor and a whole bunch of other things, that talk, that's talking about who he is, not just what he's called. And he's our counselor here. A counselor is an advisor. What's implied in this word counselor is someone that has wisdom comes along and they advise and they guide and they lead somebody else. So Jesus here is called that, our counselor. And if you were to pick up your Bible and read through, say, the Gospels, you could certainly see this to be true. Jesus spoke with authority. He spoke with power. He spoke words of truth. And we would do well to follow those. It actually says in one place, teacher, you have the words of eternal life. Somebody said to him. And we would do well to follow what Jesus says, the way that he leads us through his example. But I want to say this to you. Jesus is more than just our example. He's certainly our example, but he's more than that. Jesus doesn't just counsel and lead and guide us to just follow some practical teaching, for instance. Some people say, oh, Jesus was a good teacher. That's all he was. Nope. Jesus was an, an enlightened man. That's all he was. Nope. Jesus actually calls us and leads us and counsels and guides us into relationship with him, to center ourselves on him, to trust in him, to be saved by him, to find our life in him, to abide with him. Say abide. That's what Jesus calls us to and leads us to. It says in John 14, 6 that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. So when he is our counselor here, he is guiding us into what it means to truly live, and that's to abide in him. And we've talked about that on and on and on. Let me say this a different way. Jesus is saying here, if you want to understand God, you look to me. If you want to understand yourself and your life and God's will for your life, you look to Jesus because that's where it's found. And he's not just our counselor. What kind of counselor is he? Somebody tell me. He's a wonderful counselor. How encouraging that is for us as Christians to remember that he's good. He is so good and loving and merciful and gracious. He is wonderful. God is good and he has good for you. I need you to know that today. God has good for you. God has a plan and a hope and a future and a life for you today because he's our wonderful counselor. Again, is this good news? Next one, Jesus, we can't forget this. Jesus is powerful. His name shall be called Mighty God. And we could sit here and talk about this one all day. Here's what I want to bring to your mind this morning. Again, we're focusing on things that we've already heard, we've already seen, we already know. I want to point you to the fact, and I want you to bring to your mind, not just today, but ongoing. We need to be a people who remember the fact that Jesus powerfully saved us as Christians. The fact that you are a Christian and that you've been saved from your sins is not anything to do with your works, your deeds, your performance, the things that you've done, your church attendance. No, your salvation literally is a miracle. 
And it's only possible because Jesus is powerful. Jesus powerfully saved you. He called you not from, oh, you're a pretty good person. You're almost right here, you know, right with me. Just, you know, here, come on over the line. No, it's like you were far from God. We were enemies of God. And he saved us and he's now called us friends and children of God. We were in the domain of darkness and he has transferred us to the kingdom of light. We were condemned and sentenced to eternal punishment and death and Jesus has given us eternal life. Powerfully, powerfully. I know for me, like I was far from God. I was not right before God. But this powerful miracle happened in my life. And if you're a Christian, it has happened in yours too. I don't care what your salvation story is. It's a powerful working of God in your life. And we can even go on from that and think of all the other times as Christians that God has come through for us. It's not, it's not even just that he saves us and that's it. God continues to show us his power. It says in Ephesians 1.19 that he has immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. And I know that we've seen it. If we set our minds to it, we can think of times that God has delivered, that God has been faithful, that God has provided, that God has ministered to us and strengthened us and encouraged us. There have been times in my life and yours, I know, where you thought there's no way in this situation. And then boom, he makes a way. There's, there's no way out of this. Boom, there it is. There's, I'm all alone. There's no one. Boom, there he is. Jesus is powerful. We cannot be a people who forget that. We need to be a people who remember the fact and live like our God is powerful. Do you agree today? Good, good. And the thing is too, we're not that strong. I am not that strong. I know that would shock you to look at me. Thank you. But we're not that strong. We certainly are not strong enough to save ourselves. We just get that one out of the way. But even to like get through the things of this life, I am not strong enough. In fact, I'll be very honest with you. I've had a lot of prayers with the Lord lately, just with all the craziness going around. I said, God, I don't know if I'm strong enough for this. You know what he said to me? He said, you're not. Well, that was encouraging. Thank you, Lord. No, but it doesn't matter because he is. His power is made perfect in our weakness, as a matter of fact. So we don't have to sink into discouragement as God's people. We don't have to live defeated lives because our God is powerful. He was powerful back then. He's powerful today. He's going to keep on being powerful. Can we just lift up some praise to him now, please? Thank you, Lord. Yes. He's powerful. Number five, Jesus is the eternal God. It says his name shall be called Everlasting Father. Don't miss that. That is a reference to the fact that Jesus is God. He was not just some guy. He was not just some teacher. He was not just some historical figure. He is God himself. Our God exists in three parts, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. We call that the Trinity. And each member of the Trinity has different functions and roles within the Godhead, but we have one God. So what this is not necessarily trying to say is make a big a statement of, oh, you know, the Son and the Father are the very same. No, no, no. All this is trying to say, though, is that Jesus is God, and don't miss it. Don't forget to regard him as such. Everlasting Father is a name that can only be applied to God. That's a title reserved for him. And here it's being applied to Jesus. Don't miss that. And I just, when I see that word everlasting, some of the things, some of the things we focus on and worry about in our lives, I mean, I, mean, I don't do this, but maybe you guys do. No, I definitely do this. Some of the things we worry about and fret over and focus on and spend so much time consumed by, I'm not saying they're not important or, or 
really strong presence in your life, but I'm saying that so many of the things we fret over are temporal things. There are things I, had, I had a prof one time. He said, all this stuff, he said, this is all going to burn like a twig one day. I thought, wow, but it's true. And, and how much of our energy and our time and our, and our resources we spend worrying about things when what we're called to do is remember our everlasting God, the everlasting nature of who he is. That's why the scriptures tell us to set our minds on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. Because that's God. That's why the scriptures tell us to store up treasures in heaven and not here on the earth. Because that's God. We're to set our minds and, and rejoice and dwell and camp out in these facts that God is everlasting and eternal. And his word is everlasting and eternal. And his purposes are everlasting and eternal and enduring. We need to take hope and confidence from that. We, we, we can't be a people that get caught so much up in just living with what's right here in front of us. And I'll say too, where he's called our father. Just, we've already mentioned this today. If you're a Christian, God is your father. You, you have been called a child of God. I think it's 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And so we are, it says. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. If you're a Christian, you are a child of God and he is your father and he is a good father. He's not a domineering father. He's not a neglectful father, an abusive father. He's a good father. He provides, he loves, he sustains. He gives good promises. He is faithful. Don't forget this Christmas season that you have a father in heaven an eternal father in heaven, and he's a good father. And see, this is all the Christmas story too. This is all pertaining to Christmas. It's a bigger view than maybe we take sometimes, but this is Christmas. This is Jesus. This is the life he has for us. And that brings us to our last one. Number six, Jesus brings perfect peace. One more time. Somebody say peace. Perfect peace. His name shall be called Prince of peace and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end we have talked about peace a number of times before but i want to highlight it again when we think of peace it is more than just the absence of conflict in our lives it's also the presence of blessing peace is more than just the lack of chaos it's the presence of order. It's more than just the absence of hostility, but the presence of harmony. That's what peace is. And this is saying that Jesus brings it. The biggest kind of first, most important part of peace is peace with God. We've talked about it already. In and of ourselves, we do not have peace with God. We are not right with God. We are separated from God by our sin. But it says in Romans 5, 1, that through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in what he did on the cross and through his resurrection, we have peace with God. And you know what it means to have peace with God? It means that you can live your life not having to worry or wonder or doubt or have concern over, am I saved or not? Where do I stand with God? No, if you're a Christian, you have peace with God. God is for you. God loves you. And I just love some of the encouragements in the scriptures, like nothing can ever separate us from his love. If you're a Christian, your salvation is secure in Christ. You're right with God. You have been declared righteous in the sight of God. That's what peace with God means. God is not angry with you if you're a Christian. He loves you. He's for you. And if our God is for us, I'll remind you, who can be against us? Now, when we have peace with God, what we start to experience and start to grow into is experiencing the peace of God. 
You read about that in Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a verse that is. Our hearts and our minds, let's be honest today, they're constantly under attack. They're bombarded. At least mine is. I'm sure yours is too. Satan goes hard at our hearts and our minds. And the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, it's more than we can even comprehend, it guards us in Christ. Jesus comes in in real time and will protect and guard and deliver. That's good news. That's peace of God. We need to be a people who seek and desire the peace of God in our lives and for others to have it as well. And ultimately, the peace that Jesus brings, we look forward again to his second coming when he will come and make all things new. Revelation 21 talks about how when Jesus comes back, there's gonna be a peace like we've never seen before. All will be made new. Every tear will be wiped away. There'll be no more death, sin, sickness. There's certainly not going to be COVID then, just saying we can look forward to that. That is ultimately the peace that we're going to come to know as Christians. What a day that will be when our Jesus comes back and ushers that in. So Jesus is a bringer of peace. And I want you to see something. He's not just someone that comes with a little bit of peace. He's the prince of peace. He is the ruler of peace. He is sovereign over that. He brings it. He produces it. He promises it. He delivers it. Wherever you are looking for peace in your life, wherever there is a war or a storm going on in your life and you're looking and desiring peace for that, it is futile to look anywhere other than to Jesus. He ultimately is our peace and he brings it in real time. Let's not forget that this Christmas. Not only do we have peace with God as Christians, he has a peace for us, the peace of God as well. And let us live looking forward to the day when his ultimate peace will come and rule and reign in our land, in our day. Now, we're going to wrap this up. This has kind of been a little bit all over the place today, but it's been fun. This is the Christmas story. It's not just we view Jesus as the little baby in the manger. That's part of it. Let's do that and let's appreciate him for that because that's wonderful. Our God has come to us. He has humbled himself. He stepped down from his throne in heaven, entered into our history, into our mess, and he identified with us. He's our God with us, our Emmanuel. Let's give him thanks for that, but let's not also leave it there. Let's also remember what else his word has shown us. In this Christmas text, let's remember the fact that he is our ruler, that he is our guide, that he is our powerful, mighty God, that he is eternal, and that he is the bringer of peace. That is ultimately the big view of the Christmas story. And what the Christmas story is, it's not just to be something that's supposed to come in and warm our hearts. There, I got the warm fuzzies. No, the Christmas story is an invitation for all people. It's an invitation and a reminder to trust in Jesus, to look to Jesus. If you're not a Christian yet, it's an invitation to be saved by Jesus, to enter into life with Jesus. If you are a Christian, it's a reminder to behold Jesus and appreciate Jesus and honor Jesus and regard Jesus and walk with Jesus and abide in him increasingly. That is what God is calling us to do today.